Other than that, today we're going to be in Luke chapter 11. We're going to be in the back half of the passage we've been working through for the last couple of weeks. We're going to continue our discussion on prayer. One preacher said that prayer is a sincere, sensible, affectionate pouring out of the heart or soul to God through Christ and the strength and assistance of the Holy Spirit. For the last two weeks, we've looked at Jesus' model on how to pray, often called the Lord's Prayer or the Model Prayer. And today, we're going to look at the rest of the passage after Jesus gives the model on how to pray. And we're going to look and digest and learn as Jesus teaches his disciples how to not only pray, but how to have effective prayers. How to, how to pray prayers that work. And that's the tag for today's message. Today's message is titled, Prayers That Work. And I want you to know that I don't come to you this morning as someone who has mastered this, but rather someone that is aware that there is a need of mastering effective prayer. Someone that's learning, that's growing and praying just as much as everyone else in here is. When it comes to prayer, I doubt that I'm alone and often feeling dissatisfied with our prayer life, often feeling dissatisfied maybe with even the answer to our prayers. And actually, perhaps one of the hardest and most challenging aspects of prayer in the life of a believer is just that. It's when you seem to continually pray, yet no matter how much you pray, it seems as if your prayers go unanswered. When it seems as if God isn't hearing you, or maybe he hears you and he just doesn't care, when it seems as if every time that you pray to God, it seems like your prayers don't go any higher than the ceiling of the room that you're in. I've heard it said that when God is silent, we're often tempted to doubt his goodness. When God is silent, we're tempted to doubt the promises that he has given us. When he is silent, we doubt that he will ever answer our prayers. So as we study our passage this morning, as we look at the text, as Jesus continues teaching on prayer, my hope is that we will be encouraged as Jesus reminds us that God does hear and God does answer our prayers. In verses 1 through 4, Jesus gives us the model of how to pray. And today, as we look at verses 5 through 13 of Luke chapter 11, Jesus is going to give us the pattern and the promise of prayer. So as we look at our text this morning, I want to share with you the key that unlocks the answer, or the key that unlocks the promise of answered prayer. We're going to look at the key that unlocks the promise of answered prayer. Before we get started, if you would, just join me in prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day that you've given to us today, God. I thank you for the privilege and the honor to proclaim your word. God, I pray that as the word goes out, that it would convict hearts and minds, that it would transform, Lord, that our prayer lives would be strengthened, that we would know that you are a God who hears, you are a God who answers, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would remove any distractions in here today, that you would give me clarity of speech and clarity of thought, Lord, that, that you would open the hearts and the ears and the minds of all those that are in here. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all you do. In Christ's name, amen. So the first thing that we're going to see starting in verse 5 is the pattern of prayer that works. 
If you would, look with me at Luke chapter 11, starting on verse 5. The Bible says, And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in his journey is come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to thee. So Jesus begins his teaching on effective prayer by telling a parable, telling a, a, a heavenly story with an earthly meaning. And as we look at this story, we see three friends. We've got friend A, friend B, and friend C. So friend A is put into a desperate situation by friend B. And the text, the, the text tells that friend B is, is on a journey. He's going somewhere. And on his journey, it's getting late at night. And he stops at friend A's house to get some rest. To understand the gravity of the desperation that friend A is put in because of that, we have to understand the culture that Jesus lived in. This was a culture where shame and honor were at the forefront of everybody's mind. And by not providing for his guests, by not being able to be hospitable and care for his guests, there would be shame and dishonor that would have been brought upon not only friend A, but upon his family as well. So he chose to not be shamed, to not be dishonored. He is desperate to be able to provide bread for his friend, friend B. So friend, friend B comes to friend A. Friend A doesn't have the bread to care for friend B. In my study this week, I came across this profound truth that I just wanted to share with you guys that I'm not sure if you knew or not about the culture that Jesus lived in. During the time that Jesus was alive, there wasn't 24-hour Walmarts. There wasn't a gas station that this friend could go to. There wasn't any convenience stores. It's, the text tells us that it's midnight, and there's no, so there's no way for him to get the bread that he needs. If his friend had arrived just a few hours earlier, it probably would have been a little more convenient. He probably could have went to his next door neighbor. He probably even may, may have even been able to somehow gather the bread that he needed. But he comes to him at the absolute worst of times. Isn't that usually how our problems in our life work? That problems and challenges and trials and tribulations come at the absolute worst of times. You know the saying, when it, when it, when it rains, it pours. So now as, as friend A needs this bread to care for friend B, friend A leaves his house and he goes to another friend's house. So the text tells us he goes to his friend's house, he knocks on the door and says, can you help me? So this is friend C, so hopefully I'm not confusing you here. So friend A, fr friend B comes to friend A in need of bread. Friend A has no bread. Friend A goes to friend C in order to provide bread for friend B. Make sense? No, that's okay. <laughs> anyway, so, so this friend goes to his other friend's house in order to ask for bread. And as we look at the text, as he knocks on the door, this friend responds probably in the same way a lot of us respond if somebody knocked on our door at midnight. As a matter of fact, a lot of us in today's age, if somebody's knocking on our door at midnight, we might call the police. Friend, friend, this friend says, he says, go away. Look at, look at verse number um. Verse 7, he says, trouble me not. He says, the door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to thee. 
He says it's the middle of the night. Why are you knocking on my door? I'm not getting up to give you any bread. I know there's probably some people in here that know how it feels when you're having a good night's sleep and somebody wakes you up out of your sleep for something that's uh, silly. <laughs> it's not the best feeling in the world, right? So you can imagine just the annoyance that this friend already had. He's like, are you kidding me? You're really knocking on my door at 12 o'clock in the middle of the night asking me for bread. And I, I love how he tells him to go away because his family's asleep. You know, if this man's wife is anything like mine, he probably knows that if those babies wake up, his other friend isn't going to be the only one in a desperate situation. He's probably like, dude, get away from my house because if you wake these babies up, we're both in trouble. So we see as his friend comes and he asks for bread, he is rejected. He's told no to leave. This friend is not moved by compassion to meet the needs of his friend. Now look at verse 8 with me. Verse 8 says, I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Jesus tells us that while their friendship alone, the basis of the relationship they had alone, was not enough for this friend to, to supply the need that was there. Jesus says that although if you consistently knock on the door, if you keep knocking on the door, the friend will arrive and not only give you three pieces of bread, but will give you all that you need. And the King James uses the word importunity. That's a word that I've never seen before. I don't know if any of you have heard that word used in, in talking before, but basically what importunity is, all it is is persistence. But not only persistence, it's persistence to the point of annoyance. So Jesus says that if you stand at the door and keep knocking and keep knocking and keep knocking, eventually, because that friend is so annoyed, he's going to get up and supply the needs that you have. Listen, friend A had an earnest desire for his needs to be met. He was not willing to take no for an answer. He had a need and desire that had to be met. He was going to stand there. He was going to knock until he got what he was asking for. I can imagine that friend standing there, knocking on the door, pleading with his friend, please open up, please come out, please help me, please give me bread, I don't want shame on myself, I don't want shame on my family, I need your help. But as we look at this story of persistent, desperate prayer, the point is not to look at this friend that that the friend that has the bread, the point is not to look at him as a picture of God because unlike this neighbor, God never sleeps or slumbers. Amen. Unlike this neighbor, God doesn't have to be moved to the point of annoyance in order for him to meet our needs. But then if you look at this text, also just as this desperate friend thought that a relationship would have brought the means that he needed. He went to a friend's house. So he's figuring that there's got to be some sort of relationship there that would have enabled him to meet my needs. In the same way, it's on the basis of our relationship with God as father and child that our needs can be met as well. Listen, Jehovah God not only hears your prayers, he's not only willing to answer your prayers, but he is able to answer 
your prayers. Listen, if even an imperfect human being, as we look at this text, an imperfect human being who has been inconvenient would get up at midnight to help a friend in need, how much more would God listen to the sincere prayers and desires and wants and needs of his children who are really in need? So as now we move to verses 9 through 10, Jesus is going to re-emphasize the purpose of the parable, and that is perseverance in prayer. Look at verse 9 with me. In verse 9, the Bible says, And I say unto you, though, oh, I'm sorry, yeah, I, I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and ye shall find, knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Verse 10, for everyone that asketh receiveth, he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh. It shall be opened. The Greek tense of these commands, ask, seek, knock, or in the present tense. So as you read this in the Greek, what Jesus is saying is, he's, it's a continual action that's going on. Jesus is saying, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Listen, if we want prayer that works, if we want powerful prayer, we have to be persistent in our prayer. We have to be persevering in our prayer. There needs to be a continual asking, a continual seeking, and a continual knocking. Paul tells us to pray without ceasing. Listen, don't just cry out to God during the midnight emergencies, but continue to take your need to him each and every day. Every persistent prayer is an effective prayer. And every effective prayer is a powerful one. Listen, we have a Heavenly Father who loves when we ask Him for what we need. And even more when we give Him what we cannot handle. I know I said this quote a, full, uh, quote a few weeks ago, but I believe it's, it's a great quote. It goes, it goes along well with this story here today. And the quote is that the greatest tragedy of life is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. You know, so often we're so scared of, of asking, seeking, and knocking because we think that God is not going to answer our prayers. And if that is the demeanor that you have, then you are exactly correct because God is not going to answer a prayer that you do not offer up to him. In James chapter 4, James says, James 4, 2, he says, you have not because you ask not. Jesus himself in John 16, 24 says, until now you have asked nothing in my name. Listen, Jesus says, ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. But then also recognize that, that while we're supposed to have persistent prayer, that while there's perseverance in our prayer, that with that perseverance comes patience. Patience is not something that we're always good at. I know that I especially am not. We were just talking about this last week during our Wednesday night Bible study. You know how, how often Christians say, be careful to pray for patience. Because if you pray for patience, God's going to put you in situations where you got to be patient. You know, we live in a day and age where we have immediate access to almost anything that we want. You can stick some food in a microwave and have a meal in 60 seconds. I can sit on my couch at home and order pretty much anything I want and have it on my porch in two days. You can even have groceries delivered to your doorstep. You know, we live in a day and age where convenience is king. 
And while convenience and immediate access have their place, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. That's, that's a wonderful thing that, that we have is convenience and immediate access. The problem is that they've sadly crept into places where they have no place, including our prayers. Because society gives us what we want now, we expect the exact same thing out of God. Yet Jesus teaches us that powerful prayers are not prayers out of convenience, but powerful prayers are prayers that are bathed and soaked and steeped in patience. Listen, if God, if you feel like God is not answering your prayers, what Jesus is saying to you is keep praying. Listen, don't grow weary in your praying. Rather than dwelling on our impatience, rather than wanting it now and wanting it how we want, we should position our hearts to hear what God is teaching us in our waiting. Listen, Abraham waited years for God to provide the promised son. Joseph suffered silently and alone in Egypt until adulthood, waiting for God to reunite him with his family. On more than one occasion, the children of Israel were held in captivity for hundreds of years as they waited on God to deliver them. They waited for the promised land as they were in the wilderness, and they waited on the Messiah to be born. Listen, if you are in a season of waiting, if you are at a place in your life where it seems like God is not hearing your prayers, where it seems as if no matter how much you ask, nothing is happening, know that even in the waiting, God is still working. Amen. Therefore, persevere in prayer. Charles Spurgeon talked about how to get fruit from the tree of life. How do we get fruit from God? He said that if you don't get fruit from the tree of life through faith, shake it by prayer. I don't know how many of you have tried to um, pick fruit from a tree before, but oftentimes if that, that fruit is on that tree, if you shake it one time, that fruit's going to stay on that tree. There are times when you want to get that fruit down where you've got to get an athletic stance and you've got to grab a hold of that tree and you've got to shake that tree with all of your might in order for the fruit to come off of the tree. And Spurgeon is saying that is the same way that we should pray. We should shake the tree of life until mercy drops into our lap. Don't stop asking. Don't stop seeking. Don't stop knocking. Because after we see this pattern of persevering prayer, we are given the promise of our persistent prayers. The promise that if we keep asking, we keep seeking, if we keep knocking, God will answer. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. Listen, according to Jesus, so don't get mad at me, according to Jesus, there's no such thing as unanswered prayer for a child of God. And while I know that statement can be controversial and that statement can maybe bring up emotions of grief or anger in some of us, because I know there's some of us that are here sitting here thinking, saying, you don't know how long I've been praying for healing. You don't know how long I've been begging and asking God to take that from me. 
And as much as I cry out, he seems nowhere to be found. I know there's probably even some people in here that have, have loved ones that were sick. And, and you prayed earnestly and you desired for God to heal them. And God did not heal them. And I know that the thought that arises in us is, how can you say there's no such thing as unanswered prayer? So before you begin to throw tomatoes and boomy, let's look at the rest of this passage as we digest this promise that Jesus gives to us. Look at verses 11 through 13 with me. In verse 11, the Bible says, If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give he for a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father Give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him. If we assume that ask and you will receive means ask for anything you want and I'll give it to you. Then we have turned the Lord into a cosmic genie who serves every one of our desires. And I can tell that's not who God is. God is not a genie in the bottle that you rub when times get hard. He's not just there for your convenience. He's not there just to meet each and every one of your needs. So we are to pray persistently, yes. But we are to pray persistently knowing that whatever answer comes is going to be what is best for us. So there's one condition to the promise of ask and you shall receive. What we ask for has to be good in God's estimation. If you look at Matthew chapter seven, Matthew chapter seven is the parallel passage to Luke chapter 11. It's the, the same account, but there's a little bit of differences. But in Matthew chapter seven, as Matthew gives his account of this text, he ends by saying, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him. As we just saw in verse 11, we see that a good earthly father will not give his son a snake if he asks for a fish. Because a good father is only going to give his child that which is good for him. A snake is not good for a child. And then what this also tells me is not only is a good father going to give his child what's good for him, it also reminds me that often as children, we don't know what's good for us. Amen. You know, I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, a um, craft soda snob. I'm not a snob, but I enjoy like craft sodas, like the boiling root beers and L81s, the ones that come in the glass bottles, right? So I enjoy drinking those. And so does my son. <laughs> Every time he sees me with one, he's always begging and asking me, or no, he's not asking. Well, he is, just not verbally. He's always begging for me to share my soda with him. So every time, so he's gotten to have it now where he just sees stuff and he picks it up and he wants to drink it because he thinks everything is good. Well, Brooke texted me the other day and she said that she was doing the dishes and she turns around and here he is with a glass bottle of Frank's Red Hot Sauce. Oh, no. <laughs> Trying try to drink this Frank's Red Hot Sauce. You know, and she took it from him, and he was not happy about that. You know, but the thing is that oftentimes 
That's how it is with us and God, is that we think that something is good for us, when in reality, it really isn't. You know, we cry and complain about God not answering our prayers a certain way, but recognize that you may be praying for a stone and God is giving you bread. You may be praying for a LA one, or you may be praying, yeah, you may pray for, or you may be praying for hot sauce. I'm sorry, and God is giving you LA one. You know, the Bible tells us that God's ways are higher than our ways. You know, I love that verse because it kind of just puts a stop to all of our complaints about when we don't understand what's going on. When you truly understand that, when you truly come to grips with, you're right, God, your ways are higher than my ways. You see a lot more than I see. You know a lot more than I know. You've been alive. You've been existed a lot longer than I have exist, existed. You know, when we expect God to answer our prayers according to our will, what we are saying is that we want to be God ourself. When we think that God has to meet our every desire, we're telling God that we know what's best for our life. Can I tell you that God does not exist to carry out our plans? We exist to carry out his plans and his purposes. Listen, there are times in your life when God's plan for your life is different than yours. Just a few weeks ago, just a uh, Two weeks ago, a few verses back in this passage, we talked about Jesus modeled the prayer. He said for us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That should be our posture for all of our prayers. We saw the priority of our prayer, and we see that when we come to God persistently, that he will answer our prayers, but it's according to his will, Amen. not ours. Amen. Can I tell you that as long as it's according to his will, Everything is going to be all right. I know, I know. In the waiting, it may not feel that way. You may not understand. You may question. You may say, God, are you sure about that? There's no way that what's going on is supposed to be happening. But God has a purpose and plan for every trouble, for every challenge, for every hardship that we go through in this life. Going back to the Old Testament, as Nebuchadnezzar sent out his decree, his decree, for these sons of Israel to be captured. I'm sure that Daniel's parents, that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I'm sure that their parents were praying to God, Lord, don't let my boys be taken. I'm sure that was their prayer, and there's nothing wrong with praying that. But for those of us that know the story of Daniel, that know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we know that even though his parents, their parents might have been praying, God didn't allow us to happen, that it all worked out for good. We know that God knows best. We know that there was a purpose and a reason for them to be brought into captivity. Listen, as we cry out to God, sometimes the answer will be yes. And praise God for those times. I'm sure we all have had times in our life when God has answered our prayers. Sometimes the answer will be no. And sometimes the answer is just not yet. And no matter what season you're in in your prayer life, I'm sure between those three, yes, no, or not yet, we all are in a season of that in our own lives. As we're lifting our prayers up to God, no matter what the answer may be, our posture needs to remain the same. And that posture is that no matter if it's yes, no, or not right now, we praise God for it all. 
We know that he is in control. We know that he is the worthy of praise. He is the worthy of honor, even when we don't understand exactly what he's working out. So there are times when if God gives, gives us the desires of our heart, it will be to our detriment. I'm sure that some of us have a testimony about times when we've begged and pleaded with God for something and, and we, 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 we knew exactly what we needed and God didn't give it to us. And now down the road, we can look back. We can say, whew, I died of the bullet with that one. You know, Lord, I thought I knew what I needed, but Lord, now that I'm further down the road, I'm glad that you ended that relationship. Lord, I'm glad that you didn't give me that job. Lord, I'm glad that you didn't allow that situation to happen the way that I want it to happen because you know what is good for me. When we learn to pray earnestly, when we learn to pray persistently and submissively to the will of God, you can have confidence in knowing that whatever and whenever God answers, it's for your good and his glory. While Matthew ends by saying that we have a father who gives us good things, we look at our text in Luke 11, look at verse 13. Verse 13 says, If ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Matthew ends by saying good things. Luke ends by saying we have a Father who will give us the best of all good things. He will give us the Holy Spirit. Spirit. As we seek God in earnest and persistent prayer, there is something greater than what we ever ask for that happens, and that is our drawing closer to God. As we persistently pray out to God, as we persevere in prayer, God gives Himself. I know there's been times in my life, and, and oftentimes, I'm, I, I, don't, I don't know if this is right or not, but I oftentimes feel like God allows things to happen in our life for that purpose. I know that's happened in my life where there's times when I'm not communing with God the way I'm supposed to, when I'm not having a conversation with them I'm supposed to, and a trial or a tribulation comes up, and it draws me closer to him. I begin to seek his face. I begin to, I begin to call to him, to pray to him, to talk to him on a regular basis. And that's what happens when we persist in our prayer, uh, persist in our prayer is that we get God. As you read through scripture, prevailing prayer, prayer that doesn't stop until it's gotten an answer, always leads to an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Listen, God gives his children the best answers to their prayers. He gives himself. He gives us the Holy Spirit for daily Christian living. And he gave his son to us on the cross. Before I close, I just want to remind us of the most important prayer. The, the, the top prayer that works that we must pray is a prayer of repentance and faith. A prayer repenting of our sin and a prayer trusting in Jesus for salvation. Listen, there's nothing else that can bridge the gap between God and us except Christ. The Bible tells us that because of our sin, we are hopeless. Because of our sin, we are destined and worthy of eternal separation and eternal torment in hell. 
But it also tells us that because of God's love, that God sent Jesus to live a life that we could never live, to die a death that we deserved, so that we could know God as Father. So I urge you today, if you do not know that heaven is your home, if you do not know God as Father, if you've never put that trust and faith in Christ alone, today is the day of salvation. Cry out to God in repentance and faith. And then for those of us who have put our trust and our, put our trust and our faith in Christ, know that you have a God who hears you and answers you. This is a hard lesson about prayer because it's a, it's a lesson that tells us that although prayers never go unanswered, they're not always answered the way that we want them to be. You know, that's what the prosperity gospel teaches. You know, it preaches that God is that cosmic genie. It preaches prosperity, health, and wealth. And for those of us that have been in Christ, we know that that is far from the truth. We know that there are often hard times, there's often challenges, tribulations, and troubles as children of God, but we also know that God works everything according to his purposes and for his good. This text is a reassurance that God hears us. It is also a reminder that he wants what is best for us, even if that's different than what we think it is. Even if we don't understand his doing. What is best for us is what we will get. So as we leave this morning, I told you I would give you the key to answer prayer. So the key to answer prayer is pray prayers that are cried out persistently, that are bathed in patience, and that have confidence in the goodness and promises of God. Every head bow, eyes closed. Dear Father, Lord, I once again just thank you for this day, Lord. Lord, I thank you that you are a God that knows and wants what is best for us. I pray that you would help us this morning, Lord, as we struggle with things in our lives that are going unanswered, as we cry out to you and we feel like you're not there. Help us to understand and to know that you are God, that you are in control, that you are going to answer according to your will, and your will is always what's best, Lord. Lord, if there's anybody here tonight or this morning that does not know you as Savior, there's anybody here this morning that has never put that faith and trust in you alone, that doesn't know as heaven as their home, Lord, I pray that they will get that settled here today. If that is you, if you have questions about your salvation, if you have any questions about that, I want to invite you that as the, as the uh, praise team starts to sing, to come down and I can talk with you, there's other men that can talk with you, meet me after the sermon and get that settled here <coughs> and now.